Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. We're not preparing ourselves. We're still teaching the same way that we did in the 1950s. That is ridiculous, right? Right now, once again, they're talking about there being a wave of mysticism. Imagine more companies looking like Google, like Tesla, like whatever the next iteration for Microsoft is. And it turns out in many respects that the reality is far more exotic, far more tantalizing than the dreams of the science fiction writers. These AI companies, and I, I'm in that world and I watch these guys, these guys are brilliant, they're really intelligent. And I'm like, how is that kid right now in school? Are we preparing them to understand what these people are developing and to understand the implications of it? We're not. Welcome to Future Visions, the show by Virgin exploring the surreal world of tomorrow through the finest minds of today. The amalgamation of 20 years or another generation that is not being included, yeah, you're going to have this dystopia massively. I'm Natalie Campbell, and in this episode of Future Visions, we're taking a dive into the thoughts of Araceli Camargo, a cognitive neuroscientist, innovator, and future thinker who, as you've just heard, has a few concerns about the potential direction we're heading in. In this series, we're investigating the way the world is changing by meeting at the intersection between technology and humanity to ask, what will the world look like in 20 years' time, both at work and play? In episode one, we explored the amazing and slightly terrifying possibilities of augmented and virtual reality. But in this episode, the robots are coming. A robot may not harm a human being or through inaction allow a human being to come to harm. Advancements in artificial intelligence, or AI as Araceli alluded to in the opening, pose huge challenges to our lives over the next couple of decades. The dawn of a new technological revolution seems to be upon us. Whether it's C-3PO, iRobot, The Terminator or Skynet, stories of intelligent machines have permeated pop culture for decades now. Just open a newspaper from the past few weeks and you'll find articles on self-driving cars, security robots drowning, and Facebook founder Mark Zuckerberg and Mr Tesla himself, Elon Musk, arguing about the dangers of artificial intelligence. Forget science fiction. AI is starting to become a serious reality. On a basic level, we already have things like Google Assistant and Apple Siri in our lives, both on our phones and in our homes. So the big question today is what will the world feel like when this tech is 20 years more advanced? 
Well, stick with us over the next 30 minutes or so, and we might be able to shed some light. But first, let's get to know our expert a little better. So I'm a cognitive neuroscientist with a specialism in attention and memory. My day-to-day now, I would say, is working at the Centric Lab, which is a lab that is dedicated to studying the relationship between people and the built environment. So how is someone being influenced and perceiving the world around them? Araceli Camargo has a multi-pronged career and she might be best described as a science communicator. She advises companies on how to diversify their work habits, drawing on an expertise in cognitive flexibility, something she's actively researching as co-founder of The Centric Lab, a neuroscience programme in partnership with University College London. Araceli also runs The Cube, a collaborative workspace in East London, where she puts these things into practice every day. One of the main through lines for the work that I do is within science communication. As we've mentioned, the world is getting more complex in regards that it's were more or newer vocabularies entering, such as artificial intelligence. And the neurotechnologies that are being developed are also entering into the market. And I think people need to feel much more comfortable with what science is and be more literate about science and one of the things is not being scared of it. Araceli believes we're on the cusp of a monumental change and at the heart of it is artificial intelligence. So a world with AI can go one or two ways. The first I would say is quite utopic where AI frees us to do more things. So for example, a doctor that's no longer having to spend time in diagnostics can now spend more time finding cures for the disease or spending more time face-to-face with a patient. But on a bigger societal level, what it will give us is the ability to have more space to think because it will do the jobs that essentially were made for machines, the redundant jobs, repetitive jobs. So now we will have that time and that mental space to be able to be more curious and explorative and innovative. On the one side, artificial intelligence is set to enhance our lives by helping us do things faster, more efficiently and accurately. And on the surface, there's nothing wrong with that. Our time could be freed up. And as a society, we might even reach a new type of philosophical renaissance. But it's obviously not as simple as that. So, I mean, people like Bill Gates and Stephen Hawking, they're starting to talk about this, right? Their fear of AI isn't that the AI is going to take over our world. You know, that the AI is going to kill us. Like, that's not the fear. The fear is, is that what are we going to do when people don't have any jobs and we haven't educated them well? Most people that are doing data entry jobs, even the diagnostic process of doctors, isn't going to be needed. So let's forget about a Hollywood star robot uprising for now. Araceli's prediction is one of a more imminent danger, robots stealing our jobs. Is this something we actually need to worry about? I think, yeah, automation and AI will impact on at least almost the entire workforce. This is Rose Luckin, Professor of Learner-Centred Design at University College London's Knowledge Lab and a specialist in artificial intelligence and educational technology. In 20 years' time, I think there will be an increase in the amount of automation driven by artificial intelligence into the 
white collar worker jobs, the the skilled worker jobs that perhaps haven't been subject to that kind of automation so far. So, I mean, I think there are some jobs, interestingly, jobs like hairdressing, which actually are really very difficult to automate. Um, but I think most jobs will be subjected to a certain amount of automation at least. And it's about working out how the people in those jobs can best be prepared to deal with the most likely automation. So, for example, if I think about a teacher, then a nice and a perfectly possible scenario, if we get things right, is that the artificial intelligence can be doing a lot of the grunt work of collecting and analyzing data about individual students, about demonstrating to the students and to the teachers exactly where students are excelling, where they need help, as well as providing some very carefully targeted help through discrete intelligent tutoring systems that deal with very specific parts of the curriculum. This is a big issue. It's not just the jobs of manual workers and factory processes that are going to be replaced by robots and AI. We're going to see it in all industries. And as Rose and Aracelli have pointed out, not even the teachers and doctors are safe from the advancements of AI. So how far off is this future? And do we really need to be taking notice right now? Betty is a, a sort of human height yellow robot with a, a big kind of fishbowl head and eyes. So she looks like a 50s sci-fi robot, actually. But really, she's a research platform where we want to have kind of very general capabilities. This is Nick Hawes from the School of Computer Science at the University of Birmingham. And he's introducing Betty, a robot office manager in Milton Keynes. We've been putting robots like this, so autonomous robots that can drive around in indoor spaces... We've been putting them into offices and care homes across a number of locations in Europe. So Betty can drive around and do tasks for the users in the office. This includes greeting guests, checking for loan workers before and after office hours. Uh, And while she does it, she learns about her environment. So much like you'd want any sort of worker to do, she, she learns about the patterns in the environment. So what time people arrive and leave, what the quickest routes through the building are, what objects appear in what places and what kind of activities people are doing in that environment. Okay, so Betty sounds kind of cool to me. And she's a real life example of AI in the workplace. So I guess we're all wondering, what is it actually like to work with Betty? She doesn't really interact with people that much. She has to wait for people to open doors for her, for example. So she'll ask people to open doors. She'll say thank you when she goes past. Um, She can greet people when they're nearby, but you can't talk to her. So she doesn't recognise when you're speaking. So if she gets stuck in a corner or or fails to find a path to a particularly cluttered area of an office, she'll ask you for help either to push her through or to, to help her recover. So Betty's been received really well in, in the offices. And in fact, this goes for almost all of the robots that we've, we've put in, in different locations. People are really excited to have new technology in amongst their working life. They're excited to, to see what kind of autonomy can deliver and learn about the capabilities these robots have. And you find that people are quite happy to accept these autonomous systems moving around, operating in their lives. Um, I think they feel connections to them that probably aren't even there. So people are very keen to anthropomorphize technology and they do that with autonomous robots too. So people build up relationships, they're sad when the robots leave, you know, they're happy to see the robots in the morning. (laughs) So Betty sounds like she's got better communication skills than some people I've worked with. This robot is not only useful in its job, but it has also been accepted by its human co-workers too. It's easy to see the direction of travel and which way this is going. 
Aricelli's concerns about drastic changes to the workforce appear to be well-founded. The new robotics and AI technology, I think, will inevitably change the job market. Um, I don't think it's a case of humans being replaced by robots because in many cases, robots just can't do what the humans can do. There's a great deal of flexibility, both physically and mentally, that the humans have that robots aren't able to replace just yet. I think it's a case of humans and robots working alongside to do more. So robots enable humans to solve more problems or solve the same problems quicker at a higher quality. So I think in, in many cases you'll see humans and robots working together, but not like companies, but you know, a human managing a, a team of robots to, to do some particular task, or humans monitoring the output of robots, where the robots might do a kind of broader range of sensing and mobility, and humans can interpret the results of that processing. Whether it's robots replacing humans, or humans and robots working together side by side, one thing's for certain, change is most definitely coming, and we need to prepare. You're listening to the Future Visions podcast, brought to you by Virgin. In this episode, we're exploring the predictions of Araceli Camargo, and so far we've established that the workforce of the future is going to change drastically, and perhaps faster than we've even imagined. So what should we do to prepare for, and even better thrive in this new world? Araceli believes education is a vital part of the conversation. We're not preparing ourselves. We're still teaching the same way that we did in the 1950s. That is ridiculous, right? And we're still teaching how to work in a factory. The school system is no longer preparing us and it wasn't preparing us for the jobs that we have now. It's certainly not preparing us for the next set of jobs because imagine more companies looking like Google, like Tesla, like whatever the next iteration for Microsoft is and these AI companies and I, I'm in that world and I watch these guys. These guys are brilliant. They're really intelligent. And I'm like, how is that kid right now in school? Are we preparing them to understand what these people are developing and to understand the ethics behind it and to understand the implications of it? We're not. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen 
premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Professor Rose Luckin is an expert when it comes to looking at AI and education. And as part of a cross-party science and technology committee, she gave evidence to the UK government last year suggesting that the current curriculum is just not up to scratch. At the moment, there are some challenges in the education system when it comes to preparing young people for the most likely future. For example, the skills and abilities that are the easiest to automate are those that are routine. Um, the sorts of skills, knowledge and abilities that we tend to stress within the current school curriculum in the UK and that are regularly tested through exams. I think we need to recognise that more emphasis should be put on the skills and abilities that are not easy to automate. So, for example, artificially intelligent systems don't understand themselves which is something we would call metacognitive skills and abilities. The ability to understand what you know, what you don't know, where you need help, where you maybe can excel, to know yourself in order to be self-effective. Now, these sorts of skills are going to be at a premium in the future. If I'm asked, do I think we should teach history or coding? It's the wrong question to ask. The question would be, what can I learn through coding that might help me understand history or vice versa? So rather than teaching students in discrete subject areas, we need to put a greater stress on helping students to synthesize their understanding across multiple subject areas. I couldn't agree more. So an ability to understand problems in a wider context and the application of cognitive flexibility are going to be the key tools in surviving in a technologically advanced world. We need to maximise on human attributes that can't be replicated by robots or clever algorithms. But this learning can't stop at schools. Everyone needs to understand more about AI and the implications of AI and automation for their jobs. And it may be that for some people who've been in the same job for 20 years, one of the things we need to focus on right now is helping them to understand that they will need to change and that they will need to be willing to embrace new sorts of skills and abilities because the world around them is changing. So it isn't something that's just for young people. It's something for everybody. Whether you're an employee or business owner, young or old, I hope you're taking notes. But what happens if we don't make this sort of education available to all? It seems the implications are bigger than just a few people losing their jobs. The amalgamation of 20 years or another generation that is not being included, yeah, you're going to have this dystopia massively of this elite, not just monetarily, but intellectually, that are getting to reap all of these rewards, and then a whole bunch of people that don't understand it. And if we don't stop to take responsibility and to say, okay, how do we start to include these people? From that point, I don't know what it's going to look like. It's just, I think it's gonna be very uncomfortable and it's gonna create in two groups and despair. People are scared. People are scared that they don't understand the world that we're heading into. 
And then obviously if you have an entire set of the population that isn't working, that doesn't have a purpose, and we don't have those infrastructures in place to pick them up, again, just takes an enigmatic person to go, don't listen to them, I'm going to rescue you, populist culture comes in and we get something that I don't even think we know quite what it's going to look like. So I call this the digital haves and the digital have-nots. And this is a bleak outlook in a world that we definitely do not want to see. It's a fractured society, and in a time where post-truth politics is already becoming an issue, where debate is often framed by appeals to emotion rather than data or science, it's not a stretch of the imagination to think that things might become nasty. Aricelli describes this divisiveness as being a bit like... Trump, but on, you know, crack. <laughs> which says something about her opinions of current world politics. You get the picture. I think there will be more polarization amongst that class where racism is going to continue to rise, where violence is going to continue to rise. All of us that are in the camp of progress and making things better, there's going to be a point where almost intellectually or linguistically we're not going to be able to understand them. It's like two different interfaces. If we're preparing a toolkit for the future, a revised education system one that is democratised and available to all, should be the number one priority. But are we missing a trick here? Or could we take a different stance? Perhaps we could shun AI entirely. I take my cue from Herbert Reed, one of your philosophers, who said at one point, only a society that has paid an apprenticeship to nature can be trusted with technology. This is Kirkpatrick Sale, an author and scholar who has written prolifically about Luddism and technology. In 1980, I wrote a book called Human Scale, in which I said that the world has gotten far too big and far too dangerous, and there is a crisis that we are facing now, and we had best move to a different kind of society as quickly as we can. And that society would be the Human Scale Society, in which everything, the, all the institutions, political, economic, social institutions, are much smaller and uh, therefore capable of being controlled by, by humans. This was his first major writing that put him on the map as the voice of neo-Luddism. He examined what is called a nation in the grips of growth mania, suggesting that the only way to fix the world is to scale back, and he means this in every sense. Well, uh, let me begin by quoting Pope Francis in a 2015 encyclical who said, uh, doomsday predictions can no longer be met with irony or disdain. And that is my feeling exactly. I'm suggesting that Western civilization for sure is doomed. Even the disruptions of the Industrial Revolution in England, which were considerable, will pale to the kinds of disruptions that robotics and artificial intelligence will produce, uh, along with the kind of mentality of, of those who control those technologies. Kirkpatrick's views might seem overblown and perhaps quite shocking, but they do offer some important perspective. How do we know what the potential of the future looks like if we don't understand the negative aspect of where we could be today? Personally, I'm not going to accept his doomsday predictions. Well, for now anyway. 
But I do think there's a lot to say about a society that's getting too big and too complex to tackle some of the issues that we face in the world today. We haven't got time to get into these concepts in much depth here, but if you're interested in the subject, check out Kirkpatrick's writings and the updated version of his book, The Human Scale, A New Look at the Classic Case for a Decentralised Future. It was released earlier this year. Admittedly, we've spent much of this episode discussing the negative case, a dystopian world where technology gets the better of us. But hopefully this is just a cautionary tale. Let's make sure we take the correct steps to avoid this. It's important that everybody has enough of understanding of artificial intelligence in order to be able to make informed decisions about what they want for themselves or their families. You know, do they want machines to make decisions about their medical treatment? Do they want machines to make decisions about what kind of an education their child should have? Do they want machines to make decisions about their entertainment or indeed to influence the way that they might vote? So we need people to understand enough in order to remain in control of their lives in the most positive sense. And this positive future is exactly where we want to be. But what can we do to secure it? And what can we act upon now? It's like the best way of ensuring your future is to do things in the present, right? So I think that's the best way to shape it. So whatever it is that you're doing right now, if you are doing it with good intention and with a very specific purpose, then that starts to shape the future. And I don't think you have to wait until 30 years for that impact to happen. You can start with that now. If we get this right, and we're smart about the way that we design artificial intelligence through the way we train people to design it and how we educate people to understand enough about it, we can start to remove divisions in society. We can open up a whole new range of skills and abilities that are way beyond the very narrow set that we currently evaluate through exams and tests so that everybody can show what they shine at. And indeed, in, in my utopian future, people would be in charge of their own data and their own evidence, and they would be able to make decisions about what it is they want to promote about themselves. Right now, we can start educating people on what is to have a sense of purpose? What is it to have meaning? I think we have to teach people how to think. We have to teach them how to think conceptually. So I think those are the skills that we're going to look for in a workforce more than the person that can just put the dots together. So for me, this is the potential of artificial intelligence. It's creating a world where people have access to and understanding of the data that informs their whole lives. It's a world where people have a sense of agency and purpose, not just because necessity demands it, but because they understand how those tools can enable them to be the creators of their destiny. It does sound utopian and it does sound far off. But if we get the education and skills agenda right, it's the world that we will come to know. In order to thrive, people will need to be flexible in their expectations of their futures. They will need to be willing to develop new skills and understand new concepts throughout their lives. And they'll need to have energy and motivation to drive them through what could be an immensely exciting future for the human race. And I, for one, couldn't agree more.
that's it for this episode of the Future Visions podcast. A huge thanks to Araceli Camargo, Professor Rose Luckin, Nick Hawes, Betty the Robot, and all of the others who contributed to this episode. And there's more from Araceli, including thoughts on the future of workplaces over at virgin.com, where you'll also find more articles, videos, and future thinking discussion. If you enjoyed this show, let us know what you think. Leave us a comment or review or get in touch at Virgin on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag Future Visions. Next time on the Future Visions podcast. In the future, you can imagine a world where you go get scanned every six months. And then you can take that and you can go into a virtual world where you can see what you look like in various clothes and where a salesperson can help you and can show you what a style looks like. And what's really exciting about that is when you think about the labor side of that, it means like your shopkeeper could very easily be from a totally different part of the world than you. They might be sitting in the comfort of their living room. They're not going to sort of be commuting into a, a low-paid job every day anymore. And so marrying that to sort of the experience of shopping is what's going to be really interesting about how shopping changes. Blockchain co-founder Peter Smith explores the concept of shopping and consumerism in a virtual world. But until then, from me, Natalie Campbell, it's goodbye for now. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.